Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you're listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders, project creators, entrepreneurs, small business owners, my mom. How are you all doing tonight? Hopefully everybody's doing okay. You guys are having a great, great week. Hopefully you guys had a, a solid Halloween a couple nights ago. I got to be honest, if any of you follow me, follow me on Facebook, you just saw that I, I carved some pretty sweet pumpkins. I got a lot of praise for them, so... Maybe that's a new skill set. Um, you can hire me to come in and, and carve fancy pumpkins by sketching them out and then um, you know, using really small knives and cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. And then you know, basically spending four or five hours on it. So, all right. So who's coming up on today's episode? That is a great question from my sidekick over here. Uh, we are going to be talking to Seab Kitman, and we're going to be talking about the NeoFit. And what's the NeoFit? Well, that's a foam roller that goes anywhere. Yeah, so this is this interview is for a couple people. Obviously, project creators, crowdfunders who are running campaigns, but for the fitness and travel people out there. If you travel a lot and you're into fitness and you need a roller, I mean, literally, this is the solution. I have found the solution for you. So, yeah, we had a great conversation. Um, uh, so it's going to be coming up here in a little bit. We're going to be talking about his days in... in uh, um, playing cricket cricket yeah that's right i forgot yeah i think he was a professional cricket player in australia so how, how about that I, I, you know so uh how about sending a congratulations out there to those houston astros for winning the world series i don't know why i'm saying that i don't really care i watched uh, it until it was about five nothing and then i was like all right that's that's good i don't i don't really have a horse in this game or in this race, I should say. I didn't really care. But what else is going on here? Yeah, so we had a rock-solid Halloween here. Um, didn't really get that many kids. I, I'm kind of uh, uh, blown away a little bit by that. I thought we live in a pretty high-kid high, high kid neighborhood. But, you know, we ended up giving away a couple bags of candy. And um, the adults, I had my keg out for the, for the adults so that they could get a beer and they walked by. We had a nice fire pit. And I had a movie on the garage. So it was... It was a relaxing time when you stop by one Wednesday away for your Halloween treats. Um, but yeah, so it was a good, good time. The kids, kids got all dressed up. They, uh, they went out and tore it up, you know, tore it up out there as a uh, Twilight Sparkle, I think, was my daughter. And uh, my son was, I don't know, some Star Wars character. I, I, does anybody know anymore? I mean, really, does anybody really know? And I know there's experts out there. I know one person who, if he's listening to this, he's going to go, come on, Jeff. He was Darth Maul. Come on, you know, Darth Maul's like a really important character. I, I don't know. Not a big Star Wars guy. You know, we have them. The kids have watched him, a little bit of them, you know, I guess. You know, they're, my son's into it. But, yeah, so he was some sort of Darth Maul character. And, um, yeah, so that's that was that was a big, big Tuesday night. You know, we're still kind of recovering a little bit. I think I finally got the uh, beer and scotch out of my system, finally. Um, but what else is going on? So we have got a big, big big week coming up here the november like 12th through the 15th something like that a little three-day span here where the woodshed agency is going to be up at clarkston university doing a little bit of teaching yeah we're gonna be doing a little 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 uh event uh, where we're going to be the the speakers, and we're going to be talking through crowdfunding. We're going to be talking through small business, entrepreneurship, 
sort of the what it takes to to, to do it out there in the world. Um, so going to be driving. Got to drive there. So we got a nice little eight, nine-hour drive ahead of me. So that's nice. I haven't, haven't done a road trip in a little while. So that's all coming up. Uh, yeah, and like what? What is, that, what is that? Like like 10 days? So I'm not going to lie. This morning I woke up and I'm freaking out a little bit because I don't have um, anything built as of today. Um, so I found out, you know, I, I, what I found out, all right, so I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull from a few things and I'm a, you know, so you're, you're in that, that point right now where I'm in first, I'm in the freak out mode where you're like, all right, what am I going to make? What am I going to make here? Uh, okay. All right. I know what I'm going to make, you know, and then I go and I start finding resources. So I go and I pulled, pulled all my assets from a couple of my webinars that are out there in the world. Right. So, all right. So I have some slides built. Then I go and I look at some of our competitors. What have they done, right? You look at them and you see, uh, you go through their stuff and you're like, all right, I see, I see, I like that tone. I like this. You start plucking. And it really is how you start putting together your narrative and your story by, again, what have you already built in the past? What do you have made? How do, what do I need to be expanded upon it? What's your competitors doing? And you start taking a lot of the stuff you like and then eventually you put it all in front of you and you put together start to finish A to Z and at some point you have what you're looking at, right? So that's how what, that's what needs to happen. It has to happen because I'm going to be standing up in front of a bunch of people for like an hour dancing and swaying and telling people how to do cool things, right? Right? So that's, whew, whew. All right, I got to get that built. Got to get that built. What else is going on here? Well, I'm going to take a moment to talk about expectations, right? It is the new Achilles heel here at Woodshed Agency, and it's one that we are trying our hardest to combat or put our expectations in the exact same place, or let's just say um, expectations around the same planet. And what's been happening is there is an absolute um, misinformation that a lot of our clients come to the table, and I, I'm going to equate this back to the band days. This is when the bands would come to me and say, "I wrote a song. I'm going to get. I'm going to go on tour. Obviously, all of the next two years. Then I'm going to get the record deal, and then I'll have a hit song on Spotify. And and then they're looking at you with this sort of. I'm, I know this is how it works because I read about it in Google and I, or I read about it at, you know, this company, this, this band did it that way. So I know that'll just happen to me because I wrote a song and they don't really understand all the nuances that are going on behind the scenes. So I say that because one of the newest things is, and we've, we, we have been, it has been a absolute, um, I wouldn't say a shit fest, but it's definitely been hostile around here with clients and it comes down to expectations, right? First expectation is, hey, I wrote you at um, you know eight o'clock on a Friday night, and you didn't respond to me until um, Saturday night. I'm not being taken care of. That's a bad client expectation, right? So that's not you being in the real world. And yes, we have the ability to be plugged in at all times. But the problem is, is that you're coming at me in that scenario with your baby is so important. My life is at uh, on hold. My other client's life is on hold. And then on top of that, you know, is that information that is truly necessary? And that's a step that I think every project creator needs to take in their communication with, with their coworkers, with their clients. You know, because we have the ability to chat, communicate at any, any waking moment, sometimes you got to stop yourself and say, do you think the agency or my team member really needs to know that on a Friday night? And I bet you if you do that step nine out of 10 times, the answer will be no. 
They don't need to know that. That isn't a fire question. So that's one part. Second part is um, this idea of blaming technology. And that's another sort of um, real big point going on here at Woodshed Agency. It's very, very easy to be stuck in your ways and say, oh, no, 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 no. This tool doesn't work, and that's why I'm not communicating. Even though you're one out of 50 people and the other 49 people are all doing fine, but you're the one that blames and blames and blames. And I got to be honest, that's probably one of my biggest ones because that is an excuse, right? And I get it. Hey, we all have problems in terms of, you know what? Our ad budget wasn't what I thought it was going to be. This happened, this happened, or what? Those are things that are uncontrollable. What's controllable is your ability to stop, learn a technology. And, and when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about a lot in, in communication. So we have a um, scenario where a, a client just will not or flat out is saying that he's not using our communication base camp three and incorrectly when he is and it's so frustrating when you sit there and you just see it right and you know you're just doing it wrong take a moment educate yourself just literally take a moment take five minutes to educate yourself and then on top of that you have the um the helpless person right the um hey i have no idea what a flash sale is what is this flash sale could you please tell me what a flash sale is and when you have stuff like that, it's really hard to take a client serious when you're like, are you not in the world? It's a flash sale. Or, and if even at that point that you don't know something, right? Let's just, you know what? Okay, maybe flash sale is a bad example, but maybe you don't know something. Here's the next thing to do. Google it, right? Google it. Go on Google and type in, what is a flash sale? And you're going to get what, 10 million responses to what a flash sale is? That's you owning responsibility for your project, you. It's not about hand-holding and bogging the entire system down because you choose not to do a simple, simple thing, right? And I don't want this to be preachy. I get it. Everybody's got their nuances. Everybody's got their, quir their quirks. But ultimately, the only way an agency and a uh, partnership with a creator works is when there's trust and when these expectations are pulled somewhat towards the center. Because expectations of, you should answer me instantly at the middle of the night because I decided to write something, that's a bad expectation. That's an expectation that's wrong. Or I hired you to, to do digital marketing and you know create the tools and build my platform. Why are you not creating all my, uh, my content for me? Well, I'm not, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to write a blog on your behalf. I'm here to coach you on what it is. So, you know, so understanding, really understanding the expectations of the rules. And then the big one, we're going to talk about Facebook ads for a second, because I've had two clients now basically just, you know, email, you know, let me say this, stand behind an email and throw a lot of shit at me that I don't know what I'm doing. And then when you break down the data and you throw the facts back at them, they have to eat crow. I think that's the term. Or they have egg on their face. Maybe that's a better one because it's early in the morning. When those things are happening, if you don't understand Facebook ads and you don't know the nuances of them or you don't know what's happening behind the scenes, the last thing you should be doing is critiquing them in a, I am an expert because I, um, you know, I saw one ad and I don't know what it's doing, but you're doing it wrong. And, and I, I say this, this is my new analogy for it. And it may be wrong, I don't know. But my analogy is this is the equivalent of, you know, you have changed a tire once in your life or you, I don't know, changed a spark plug, a f easier tasks on your car that, you know, with the power of Google, you can probably, 
you know, fiddle your way through it. But then you have a major issue with your car, and you take it to the mechanic, and the mechanic fixes it. He fixes the car. The car is running. Everything's back on top. And then you come home, and you look at it, and you go, yeah, but you didn't do it right. You didn't make the car fixed right. I don't think you know what you're doing. And I don't know if, you know, I think I could have done a better job. Even though at that point the car's fixed, the mechanic did his job, you have changed a tire once in your life. But you know now you're an expert in car. You know that's what happens a lot in these in these conversations. So what we're struggling with, I'll be frank, over here at Woodshed Agency, and I think this is all agencies are struggling with this: communication with the client and expectations, and an understanding of, you know, your your baby is incredibly important to you. It's your baby. You've hired me to help as much as I possibly can. And, and I, man, you know, as somebody who's on call 24-7 or somebody who has a personality of, um, you know, I feel bad about stuff if I don't get to it, it is absolute torture when somebody is, like, throwing shade at you because you didn't respond by 9 o'clock on a Friday night on a message that's not even necessary or whatever it is. I mean, I may be, may be too specific, but these are, these are the newest examples of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of it. So I guess my whole point to this is take ownership of your, yourself, right? Take ownership in, of what century we're, we're in. Take ownership of technology is helping, right? Take ownership of, of your own education to learn. Take ownership of the fact that you have the same power as I do to Google if you don't know something. We all have the same power. Don't have excuse have excuses that's ultimately what i'm getting at so all right i think i'm gonna get off my soapbox i went i went a little long on that but you know we've had you know three or four fires over here at woodshed that are unnecessary fires and i think they're fires that probably happen quite a bit to agencies or even all the people you work with even your family like it's a communication issue and what i'm i'm hopefully getting at is take everybody everybody needs to go down a notch myself included i've seen points where I'm like, you know, I might have been too short and I get it. And we're all hiding behind email. So it's very easy to, to read an email. That's my, that's my last thing is, you know, everybody needs to take it down a notch on reading into emails with their own tone in their head. Right. So, you know, I try to keep my emails as short as possible with all, I need this. I don't need, I don't need a three paragraph fodder to present the tone. I need X, Y, and Z to do X, Y, and Z. Give me X, Y, and Z. That's what I try to keep my email to because anything more than that, I think it's very easy for people to read into it. And even the, what I just described on, on my techniques on email, you know, people still read into that as Jeff is really short and he's a really bad communicator. No, I need X, Y, and Z to do X, Y, and Z. I don't need three paragraphs of well, I woke up this morning and I'm not feeling very good, so I'm a little under the weather, but I'm going to be traveling all day to Toronto, and then from there, I'm going to be going here, and I think that with my time, I don't know if I'm going to be able to send the email at 3 o'clock, but I could probably send it at 3. I don't need any of that. I need X, Y, and Z to do X, Y, and Z. Give me X, Y, and Z, Right? There's nothing to read into that. There's no emotion. I just need it. That's how I get, that's how you move the rock from A to B. All right. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm good. I could probably go on because it's been a little hostile around here. You're probably sensing that from me. You're sensing my Thursday hostile. 
But again, my listeners, thank you for letting me um, use this podcast as my venting. Thank you. <laughs> See, uh, I apologize that you you your your episode got caught up in my uh, my wash of uh, you know we're fixing stuff. Okie dokie, guys. All right, let's go ahead and kick my conversation with Sieb. We're going to be talking about NeoFit. Oh, by the way, again, like I said, if you're into travel and fitness, go support this Kickstarter. All right, talk to you, all guys. Talk to you guys all. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, what am I saying? What am I saying? What am I doing? Let's kick to my conversation. It's so long since I've seen the sun. Stormy clouds distract my gaze. Every day was the same thing. Another pill. All right. Well, I have hit the re- the old record button, so the red light's on. So I'm sure you're all nervous now, um, but hopefully we can uh, we can get through it. So let's start with a quick, uh, a real simple, quick sound check. Uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, the same thing I have every morning, which is a green smoothie with about 10 different ingredients in it that anyone else who's tasted it thinks it's disgusting, but I enjoy it. Well, nice. What are those? What are some of those ingredients? Uh, kale, spinach, uh, like green vegetable powder, cacao powder, berries, banana, uh, protein. I think there's peanut butter. I think that might so be it. Yeah, that's healthy. That's like one of those healthy uh, moments, right, in life that we're all reading uh, articles to aspire to be like, you know, to drink what you're drinking. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I feel like it makes a big difference when I drink that at the start of the day versus eating something or drinking something that's not so good for me. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I had some cereal this morning, so, uh, you know, some some, some, some Cheerios. <laughs> I'm sure it tasted better than what I had. Uh, I don't know about that. You know, what time I eat, I'm like... I mean, what am I eating? I don't know. Whatever. You know, is that a little bit of milk? So, well, I think we're sounding all right for the moment. I think we're sounding good here. So, we'll jump right into it. So, why don't you tell my listeners about what you're raising money for on Kickstarter? Sure. So, I'm two weeks into my campaign for a collapsible foam roller. So, anyone who foam rolls uh, knows the pain of trying to travel with your foam roller or traveling and being away from your foam roller for any, any period of time. It means your body gets pretty beat up when you don't have access to it day to day. Um, the alternative is to leave half your luggage behind so you can squeeze it into your your luggage when you travel, but that's not really a viable option. So, I um, created a collapsible foam roller, did away with that issue. And so, well, anytime you travel, whether it's just across town or a longer journey on a vacation or something like that, you've always got your foam roller with you. So, um, as somebody who has never owned or even thought about a foam roller until this conversation, <laughs> why am I traveling with a foam roller? Like, who, who does it? I guess, what, what's the benefits of it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it can be anyone from just someone who does it casually to try and stay in shape to uh, people who maybe compete uh, in sports or some sort of athlete. Um, it's essentially, if you think of foam rolling as the next best thing to having a massage therapist around you all the time. So it works on the same principles, which is called myofascial release, which is essentially uh, the tightness that you get in your body, the fascia, which is essentially the material that holds your whole body together. You get tightness and adhesions in that. And when someone massages you, they're getting rid of those. Mm. Um, and it's the same principle for foam rolling. You're just doing it to yourself. So it's a type of self-massage. Interesting. So when I tell my wife at the end of sitting in a chair all day that I need her to massage, what I really should be doing is I should be getting one of uh, your foam rollers here is what I should be doing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, most definitely let your wife off the hook and get get yourself a foam roller. (laughs) All right. I'll let her know that. Uh, Well, you just got a new backer. She just backed. Look at that. that? Oh, really? (laughs) Uh, Maybe at the end of this, but, you know, we're we're just we're early into it. We're only three minutes in. So, uh, um, you know, so so I guess 
where does this sort of idea stem from? I mean, uh, obviously you must have been traveling in the past, but like, where did you start putting together the plans to, to actually jump into this? Yeah, most definitely. So I worked for seven years in the professional sports industry in Australia uh, for cricket, which is, I guess, our equivalent of baseball, um, for the governing body for, for cricket, which is like an NFL or an NBA, um, which meant I would travel for probably about six months a year. So when the team traveled around the country and also around the world to play in matches, I'd often go with them, which meant I'd be away for one week, two weeks at a time. And my foam roller would be sitting at home in my lounge room just when I needed it. And so it was kind of over uh, years of doing that and thinking that it didn't make sense that every time I was away, I was away from my foam roller and I'd come back and particularly my back would be all really beat up from being on planes and long car rides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of went it crystallised in my mind that, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if I could take this with me, but I'm not about to give up half my luggage. Uh, and then it was, so it was 2015 when I kind of came up with the concept, wrote down the ideas. I initially started, it sounds really strange, but I took the, the cardboard roll out of some paper towel that you use in your kitchen because it's a similar kind of dimension yeah. and size to it and just kind of sliced that up and started coming up with some clumsy concepts. Uh, and then I kind of got distracted by work again, got back into that. And then about a year later, I, uh, I put the design team together and that's when I, I kind of went all in on the idea. So, you know, when you say put together a design team, like, like walk me through a little bit on, on what are those sort of first steps? How do you start finding and, and, and cultivating a team to, to get your idea from, you know, a paper towel roll, a roll into actually something feasible, you know? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was pretty early on, I knew where my strengths lay and they weren't engineering and design so I mean I had concepts in my mind of what I wanted thing what I wanted to do and what it to look like um, but I initially I just started researching designers trying to find designers and engineers because it's a combination of your design and your mechanical engineer because the what allows it to collapse is pretty complex so it was going to take some uh, pretty serious mechanical engineering as well as that design which is the aesthetics of what you see now and to make it look like a really cool marketable product so initially speaking with mechanical engineers who had an experience with uh, fitness products um, and then kind of building the team out from there. Uh, I found a really good local team in Australia who they had a good mix of mechanical engineers, um, tooling specialists, because there's a significant amount of tooling involved with manufacturing, uh, but then it had a great um, product design team as well. So um, essentially just researching what they'd done previously, because that's a big thing for me, seeing that companies that have worked on similar projects um, and then meeting with a bunch of different teams and interviewing them, getting a feel and getting to see how much they understand the product or what I'm trying to achieve. And that ultimately led me to build the team that I've got now. Yeah. Now, now are, do you lose anything by having the sort of travel aspect to, I guess, a traditional um, you know, role or anything like that? Or, or was that something that you were really striving for to make sure that you still get the same sort of um, you know, quality even if you are traveling? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, there's no point in creating something that collapses if it doesn't perform well. Like, I've solved one part of the problem, but then no one can really use it as a roller. So, there's that two parts right from the start is making sure, yes, we get the collapsibility correct, but also making sure it performs uh, the equivalent to any rollers. And that's what we've done. We put it in hands of, um, I gave it to the kind of medical professionals, I gave it to personal trainers, and it's got people to roll it just to make sure that there wasn't anything lost on it. Obviously, it's great for me and my team to roll on it. We think it feels great, but it was really crucial for us to put it in the hands of others and just say, hey, can you roll on this? Tell us what you think of it. Um, compare this to your typical foam roller. Um, and all the feedback we got, obviously, initially at the start, we didn't hit it right from the start. It took us probably 14 months of building prototypes before we got it to the point where it did perform as well as, if not better than a lot of rollers. Um, but that was, always, was something that we were really conscious of from the start. Sure, sure. So, you know, over the couple of years that you're working on it i mean was there any moment that you just ran into a roadblock that you just couldn't get past at all or was there any, anything that just you know you just couldn't do because of tech or whatever it might have been 
Um, probably not a roadblock that we couldn't get past. We definitely hit roadblocks. There's plenty of times where we'd kind of set off in one direction with um, the design for it and then realise, hang on a sec, this isn't going to work after we got a lot of prototypes made. I think the big frustration, I remember there were a couple of times where we'd spend, so we get parts uh, CNC uh, machined, which means um, it's really close to production uh, specs. And so it might take two weeks to produce that and we'd get it back and within 15 minutes realise this isn't going to work. And so those sort of frustrations come throughout. So, I mean, that's always a challenge and a roadblock that you kind of learn to deal with and uh, the longer I'm involved in this the more I realize it's just part of trying to come up with a, a new product like this sure well and my flip uh, uh, part to that question would be was there a moment though that you really knew that you had something you know was there a you know maybe it's the Kickstarter campaign that oh wow people really are into this is, but is there was just a moment that you're like yeah I'm going to keep going down this road uh, it was probably when I got the final prototype, um, the fully functioning prototype uh, that's built to spec that you'll see in my Kickstarter campaign. Once that was ready to go, and I, that was the one that I started putting in people's hands. Um, and I remember putting it in uh, an osteo's pants so or a back doctor, essentially a body doctor, just getting him to roll it out and getting his feedback and him um, telling me his experience with it. That was kind of reassuring that, yes, we have crazy and really good. Um, and the second part was when we started running our, our pre-launch campaign and running videos on Facebook, the feedback that we got from that um, was pretty significant. And that was when you kind of really crystallized, yeah, we do have something here because it can get pretty lonely over that 12 to 14-month period when you're doing everything in-house and you're not really right. showing anyone and you spend time trying to explain it to people and they kind of just look at you blankly but once we actually had that real thing and we could put it in people's hands that was when i, I kind of had that initial validation and the kickstarters reinforced that that's cool that's cool it, with this type of product is there anything that you have to do in terms of certifications or i don't know you know because it's in the i don't know fitness and it's this type of equipment is there anything that you have to do to you know to document paperwork wise or anything like that yeah it does need to be in the u.s it needs to be certified as a um, a medical device, but a really low level one. So the certification involved with getting that is pretty low level. It's it's not like we're creating something to treat uh, brain injury or anything like that. So it's right at the low level, but it is still classified as a medical device. So we do need to go through that process. We've already gone through it to a certain extent. And obviously the other side of the Kickstarter campaign, we'll, we'll go through the rest of it. Interesting, interesting. Did, is that something that you knew you were going to have to face or was it an obstacle at all or you just knew, hey, it's coming, we just deal with it when we get to it? Funnily enough, I, I had a general idea we might need to do something like that, but I was holidaying with a, a couple we're friends with uh, probably like seven or eight months ago and I was, or maybe it was a bit long ago. We were discussing anyway, what I was doing. One of the girls was like, oh, I used to work in medical device certification. Do you realize you got to get a certificate for this? And then she kind of ran me through every single thing I needed for it and then kind of reassured me at the end, don't worry, this is a low level, you'll be fine. But it was really just by coincidence that she gave me that initially. Um, and then since then, we've, we've got, taken the steps necessary to, to get us to where we are now. Yeah, that sounds like that was probably a pretty good moment for you, really. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was some <laughs> yeah. advice that probably cost me $1,000 otherwise. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, so where did you grow up then? I grew up in Melbourne, Australia. So, right down the bottom of Australia. Um, and as I said, spent seven or eight years working professional sports there. And that was something I wanted to do my whole life. But then I just reached a point where I'm like, I need to go and try something on my own and see how it goes. And then if it works out, we'll go with that. If not, I'll go back to doing what I was doing. Yeah. What did what, your parents do and stuff when you were growing up? Uh, my dad was an airplane engineer initially, and so they traveled all over the place. I was actually born in England as a result of him being an airplane engineer, but they lived in Africa, the Middle East, Europe, wow. Asia, pretty much everywhere. So it wasn't until I was probably four or five that they realized that was a lifestyle that was probably too transient to raise a couple of kids. So that's when we went back to Australia, and I spent um, uh, 80% of my life growing up in Australia. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, where do you think this little, like this entrepreneur spirit that was 
that's been kind of sounds like nagging at you a little bit. Where did that come from? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I've always been a bit of an individual in what I want to do. Like I like having kind of control of my own destiny and self-determination is a big thing for me. Uh, and obviously, whenever you work for someone else or another company, you lose a little bit of that self-determination. I mean, I, I absolutely appreciate the opportunities I had. The job I had was amazing. I loved it. And a lot of people would love the job that I had. But it was just yeah, kind of na- nagging on me that I needed to at least give this a shot. Um, and I kind of sat down and did the calculations and said, look, if all else fails, I can just go back and continue doing my old job. That's probably the worst case scenario. I don't think I'm going to end up destitute and with nothing. Like, I've got something to fall back on if I really need to. But at the same time, I'm doing everything I can to make this work. That's cool. So, you know, you know, when you're sort of running a campaign and you've got all this sort of things going on, you're putting together this product getting out there, it's a very busy time. What are some of the tips or techniques that you might do to, to just stay organized and stay, you know, on top of everything, on all the emails, the comments? Just, are, are there any tools that you use or anything that you, you do to just, you know, make sure that you're staying on top of everything? Yeah, I mean, I'll probably give a disclaimer that I'm not the best at it, but I try my best to start off at the start of the day. Like, I... Each day, I start in the same way, kind of jotting down things in my journal about uh, the structure of the day and what I'm going to do. Uh, and then throughout the day, I, I try and block out that time for each one of those jobs. And Evernote is a big thing for me. Um, I rely on Evernote a lot just to keep track of what I'm doing. But at the same time, anyone who's run a Kickstarter campaign knows that you set off at the start of the day to do one thing and all of a sudden, all these things come up and you head off in a different direction. So uh, you control it as much as you can, but also just being flexible, I think, is the big thing. Gotcha. Are you, do you do anything like, – what do you do to unplug a little bit from, from sort of entrepreneur life? Uh, the gym is a big thing for me. I notice if I go a couple of days without going to the gym, I start to go a little stir-crazy. And I mean there's sometimes where if I'm reaching a point in the day where I feel myself waning, I'll just go to the gym earlier and kind of lift heavy for an hour or so and then that sets me right and I come home and work through the rest of the night. Is that something that came from, from the professional days or is it something that you have found as like a habit that you need to have or is it just – do you feel like it's like kind of left over? Um, I think when I really noticed what impact it has on me was when I didn't go to the gym for about six months or so because I just got so focused on work and then I reintroduced it and I noticed how much more productive and how much better I felt when the gym was part of my daily routine. So now kind of no matter what I'm doing, I always make time for that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how those things kind of go. I used to do uh, Bikram yoga and it felt like the best, but I... I'll tell you, the, it, what ate at me was the, I was gone for an hour and a half Monday, Wednesday, Friday, <laughs> my client, I, I'd roll in with like 400 emails, like I would, you know, like, and I just, it ate me up mentally. Yeah, that's a constant <laughs> you know? battle I have. If I do an extra set of the gym, I'm thinking, I know this is going to set me back 15 minutes, but I realize, I think the benefits of those 15 minutes outweigh being away from a computer for 15 minutes. Yeah, I, I fight that battle, man. That's yeah. a mental battle fight every day it is indeed <laughs> that's cool that's cool well let's flip over, let's flip over a little bit to the actual kickstarter campaign which is why we're talking so i mean you've got 21 days to go uh, you had a thirty thousand dollar goal uh you're almost at double mm-hmm. i think the biggest number for me is the 880 backers that's a ton of people so one of the, one of the reasons i reached out is i actually have been working um uh, on a campaign for sort of it's in the fitness uh and i what i found interesting was that yours felt very specific um in terms of Obviously, fitness is a part of it, but then also traveling, right? So, like, that, it seems like that could be kind of narrow. So, what did you do to set up to make sure that you were going to have a great, successful campaign prior to launch? I mean, 880 backers is a lot of backers for a project like this. So, what did you do prior to launch to, to make sure that, that you were going to have success? Um, the email list was a huge thing for me. I'm sure you hear that plenty of times when you have guests on here. But I started yeah. building out. I actually had two different lists going. There was one that I built using competitions, which didn't really convert well at all just because the quality of those leads weren't as good as my other list, which was based purely on 
uh, a pre-launch page and um, showing that the Kickstarter campaign was coming and that the discounts that would be available. And then I created limited discounts so it were pretty much gone in the first two days just to kind of create that urgency for my list as well. And I gave my list access to my page. I mean, it's technically published, but I, I sent out an email to them saying, hey, it's open. I'm not going to publish it to the rest of the world for the next 30 minutes to get in there first if you can. So trying to give that bit of an exclusive opportunity as well. So just reward these people for, for getting on my list and kind of believing my product early on. So give them a discount, but also give them access to the page before anyone else. And and how did you bring those people sort of into your into your world? Um, I'm assuming through Facebook and social media stuff, but was there any techniques you were doing? Uh, so Facebook ads played a huge part on it. And obviously with the automatic placements on Facebook ads, a lot of my ads ran on Instagram where I found the engagement was significant. Um, I built, I mean, that's the videos that everyone's familiar with on Facebook now though, with the text running over the top of them with kind of explainer text, those I created probably six or seven different versions of those and just ran those and they converted really well. And that's what I used to build the majority of my pre-launch list. And then once people were on the pre-launch list, pre-launch list I ran a drip campaign, so giving them uh, insider access and a look at the product before anyone else, drip feeding my campaign video and just kind of give them that information to keep them excited but also, like I said before, kind of reward them for, for joining my list and, uh, and being interested in my product early on. That's cool. And did you have, um, in your mind, did you have a targeted audience? Were you trying to go after the United States? Did you have to go after Australia, UK? What, what, what were you trying to focus uh, on? I always felt those tier one countries would probably make the bulk of my audience. And I think it turned out being about 75, 80% were from your English speaking Australia, Canada, US, and uh, England. Um, but I mean, I, I didn't want to just make it exclusive for them. So I did also run my marketing campaign uh, for the rest of the world. The challenge I had with that is uh, being early on, not being able to subsidize shipping internationally as much as I would have liked meant that my shipping costs are probably a little bit higher than what people would like. Um, ideally, we could put those down, but just where we're at at the moment, it's, it's difficult to get them any lower. So uh, that's probably another reason why the bulk of my backers are from those tier one countries. Sure, sure. Has there been anything that's kind of stood out to you in the dashboard that's been interesting or anything that's just like, wow, I wasn't expecting that? Um, I think probably the support that has still come in from all over the place. I mean, I don't have an exact number of how many different countries, but I would say there's at least 30-odd oh, different countries that have backed the project, which um, is amazing. The, the idea that something you've created has reached people all over the world and people are interested in it is um, it's great validation as well as it's exciting that people are interested all over the place. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, you know, what do you see doing for like, you know, you got 21 days to go here. What do you, what are some of the techniques you might be doing to just kind of keep that momentum going, keep that excitement going outside of being on this amazing podcast? I know that's probably the first yeah. thing you were thinking. But after that, what I mean, yeah, it was exclusively this podcast until you mentioned it just then. So oh, I've got to start thinking. This yeah. Uh, no, we've got a, um, I continue to run Facebook ads. Um, the bulk of those ads are probably run pre-launch, but we continue to run day-to-day. So there's that. Obviously, continue with some PR as well. So we've got a little bit of PR so far and still pushing the campaign out to some other outlets. So they're probably the two big things. And I'm um, just trying to keep the, the backers engaged as well. That's cool. You know, if somebody came to you and said that they were getting ready to, uh, to, um, to run a Kickstarter for their product, what would you tell them to do? Uh, first thing, make sure that the product's right. I think that's the big one. Um, Kickstarter, as you know, is all about early adopters and 
yeah, people who like innovations and new products, if you've just got a kind of got a me too product, it's probably not the right place for you. I know it's it's tempting to go somewhere where you see such big numbers on all these other campaigns, but just making sure you've got your the right product to start with. Um, and beyond that is just start building your list as early as possible. Uh, I probably started mine maybe six to eight weeks out, and if I had my time, I'd probably start it four, five, six months out just because I don't think you can start too early, provided you can continue to keep them engaged over that period. I mean, that's the challenge. You don't want to go too far out and yeah. not keep them engaged. And by the time you launch, like, who's this person sending me an email? But um, I think you can never be too early with building your email list if you've got content to keep them engaged. That's cool, yeah. So, I mean, when it came to, like, what you wanted, out of, it sounds like you made a bunch of videos. Was that something that, mm-hmm. you know, you went out and, and hired a third party to do or did you have your hands in that cookie jar? How did you make that content that, that ultimately was being shared really well on, on Facebook? Yeah, so I mean, I kind of acted like as an executive producer on all these things. I've got no technical skills, but I can point people in the right direction and tell them what I wanted to do. Um, and so I called in a favour from my previous work days working in professional sports. I knew a really good videographer from back in those days, so I called him in and he shot a ton of content. And then from that, we've just used that content to repurpose it into, uh, I mean, probably all up, we might have created maybe 14 or 15 different videos. And just having that if you can have four or five hours of raw content that you can call on and create all sorts of different uh, video with, that's a huge advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know it is. I, we tell everybody to, to send video ads out. It's cheap or relatively cheap, you know, uh, and you get engagement, you can build those custom audiences and uh, it's, it's our starting point around here. So, um, yeah, definitely. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued that, you're in Texas right now. We talked about it a little bit before I hit the old record uh-huh. button. Um, you know, was there any conversation around um, making it a, a U.S. Uh, project as opposed to an Australian project? Uh, I mean, it, it is set up in U.S. dollars, so it's definitely all coming through U.S. dollars. But given that, it, I mean, we're as a company, we're set up in Australia and uh, all our operations are there. We kept it as an Australian campaign. Uh, it was one thing I kind of dwelt on. I wasn't sure how it was going to be perceived being an Australian company, but then I, I was... I spoke to a few other Kickstarter founders who are Australian. I researched a lot of campaigns on there that are Australian. And, I mean, it, it didn't appear to have any sort of negative impact. I mean, it's hard to draw too much of um, data from just looking at a campaign. But there's plenty of successful Australian campaigns that gave me enough confidence that even though we're based in Australia, it's not going to be a significant issue. Yeah, okay. What, what's been the number one uh, FAQ question that you've gotten during the campaign? Uh, when do I get to choose my colour? That's the number one. Funnily enough, I'm going to... I'm about to send out an update to all the backers just to reassure them that they get to choose their colors, just as a reminder. And, and, and now, was that as a, added as a stretch goal at all, or is that something that was just in the campaign? No, it's just in the campaign. And because, I mean, we've got three colors to select, but when they back, they obviously just back the reward itself. And then once the surveys come around, they'll get to choose their colors. So um, I think it it's predominantly comes from people that perhaps haven't backed a campaign before and are just a bit unsure that they've chosen a product. It's the payment's right. gone through, and then hang on, I didn't choose my color. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah, this isn't right. What's exactly. going on? <laughs> so I just need to reassure them. That's cool. Well, where do you see, um, you know, the NeoFit? I mean, this product line. I mean, what are you hoping for uh, um, after the campaign and stuff like that? Where, where do you see this going for like the next five years or so? Yeah, sure. So I mean, more broadly, beyond just this role, am I? 
goal is to build a portable fitness line. So it's definitely a growing niche. And, I mean, you look at the world now, we're more transient than we've ever been. People travel far more than they ever have and work remotely. And there's kind of, there's always that compromise when you travel. It's like, all right, I'm going to travel. I'll just compromise my health for two or three weeks and sort it out when I get home. So I just try and bridge that gap. And so you don't always have to completely compromise your health when you go traveling. So the foam roll is obviously the start of that. And then there's probably another five to ten products I've already got ideas for that fit into the same niche that we're going to develop those obviously once we get uh, beyond this Kickstarter campaign and get everyone's rewards out there. That's cool. So speaking of that, uh, getting everybody's rewards out, you got the 21 days to go on the campaign, takes whatever, three to four weeks for the money to come in from Kickstarter for all the cars to get charged correctly and stuff. What starts right after that? What's what's the fulfillment process start um, for you? Uh, it's actually going on at the moment. So the manufacturing and tooling is um, is significant for this product. It's it's quite complex, and there's kind of two stages to the tooling and manufacturing process. So we're, we're moving on that now. Now that we've seen it successful, we're just going to push ahead with that. Our design team's working on that at the moment. Um, and then as soon as we get to the other side of the campaign, it'll start um, actually formally putting the, the manufacturing process with our manufacturer. We're speaking to a couple at the moment, but until we've got a, a full picture of how many backers we've got and how big our first run is going to be. We won't make that final executive decision until we finish. Um, and as soon as that happens, it's start tooling because tooling is going to take a significant amount of time to make sure we get it right and, and produce that product. And as soon as we got that right, then we can start rolling them off um, production early next year. And is that, is, in terms of tooling stuff, is that something that you'll be you know hands-on you know, managing and stuff like that? or? Uh, I'll be there. So a me- uh, member of my team will be there with me. So there's uh, one of the guys is a tooling specialist, one of the engineers. So he will handle all the uh, the full details of it. But I'll definitely be there with him, and uh, we'll be with our manufacturers on the ground, which will most likely be China. But we're also in- investigating a couple other options. <laughs> and is is that something that um, you know, like you said, your specialist guy would handle those type of big decisions? That seems like a big decision. China versus. XYZ, you know? Um, what they will do is they'll lay out all the pros and cons, obviously, with each of the manufacturers, and they are the ones who will um, definitely influence the decision and, and guide me about what works best. But ultimately, it will, it will be my call at the end, but I'll do it uh, almost entirely based on their um, what they recommend. That's cool. That's cool. So, uh, you know, with a, with a product like this, is it something that, um, that you see kind of shaping just this product alone or do you think that this is a product that will like be your sort of your backbone no pun intended at all but you know that this, <laughs> this is the product that this product will spawn off all the other um things off of your line or is it where you're envisioning more like version one version two we could do this down the road or something like that uh i'd like to think that there are version twos and version threes of this but to start with i think it's just focusing on getting this version one right uh, to begin with, and I think given this is the first product and the one that I felt had the biggest demand, it'll, I think it'll always probably be at the centre of, of what we do in the future, um, and unless we come up with something else significant. But I just feel like this one, and that's one of the reasons I pursued it too, because I did already have those other ideas in mind as well, but I thought this is the one that had was solving the biggest problem uh, and was the biggest need, and so that was the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, it seems like obviously Kickstarter has proven your uh, your thought there, so <laughs> people, people want this. Yeah, one. definitely. Uh, and it's funny, if you speak to anyone with a foam roller and say, have you ever tried to travel with it? They're like, yeah, it's such a pain. Like, it's so difficult to do. And they'll, come, they'll immediately understand the problem they're solving. But if you speak to someone maybe like yourself who hasn't foam rolled before, it might be a little bit more abstract about why this is needed. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. When I, 
I've never firm drilled, so I don't know. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you know, we'll be traveling to New York in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, if I if I firm roll here quickly and I realize man, I gotta I gotta pack one in a suitcase. You know. Yeah. Have a think about how your back's feeling when you get off the plane at the other end. All right. That, that's 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 what I'll think about there. Um, you, is this something too that you went out? Did you go out with a, a prototype and get testimonials or, or, or you know, get this in people's hands? Was that something you tried to do as well? Yeah, most definitely. That was a big thing for me. Um, initially, when we were just having kind of, we had dozens and dozens of 3D printed prototypes, which they don't operate 100%, but they give you enough of a feel about what the concept's going to be. So I actually put those in the hands of a lot of people. At the time, early on, I was actually living in Thailand for six months just to. Um, kind of cut back on cost of living and so I could focus on this project and I was surrounded by, uh, they refer to themselves as digital nomads who travel around nonstop and work all over the world and so that was kind of my target market directly around me day to day. So I would speak with them and put these in front of them and get their feel and then as we progress further along and you'll see on my Kickstarter page that I put it in the hands of a personal trainer and I put it in the hands of um, uh, an osteopathic doctor and just to get there as well and from a different perspective as well because obviously the day-to-day user's perspective is going to be different from someone who treats body and injuries day-to-day. Sure, sure. Do you see um, physical retail being a part of your like your long-term business plan? Yeah, most definitely. I think it is at some point. The challenge obviously getting into retail is always making sure you've got your margins right uh, and that's something I've been conscious of from the start. We're, we're targeting a manufacturing cost that will allow us to get into retail pretty soon, whether it's initially or at least the second run once we increase uh, the amount that we produce. But I've always had that in mind that I'll make sure I've got those margins there. Then even if I don't go with it for a couple of years, at least I know that when I do make that decision, I'm in a position from a a margin standpoint where it'll allow me to do it. That's cool. That's very cool. So, you know, probably my last question here, but where do you see yourself in the next five years? Just you personally. Um, Is it something that you – this is – this is the the company, or is it something that you envision starting more companies and somebody else will run this one? But mm-hmm. like, what do you see for yourself in the next five years or so? It's funny if you ask me where I'm going to be in five weeks, I'll probably have trouble answering that one. So um, <laughs> I'm not a huge one for thinking too far ahead, which I, maybe I should do better. But I mean, I would like to think that I'm still at the helm of this company and I've grown it out a bit. Um, obviously, I'm I'm super conscious in all that I'm doing at the moment of not getting too far ahead of myself. Like my focus is 100% focus on this Kickstarter and making sure it goes smoothly for the next three weeks and then. Production. Um, once that goes to plan, then maybe I'll start casting my mind ahead a bit further. But I would like to think that uh, I've built this business out around that niche affordable fitness, and that um, yeah, we've grown it somewhat from what it is now. That's cool. So, where can people dive in deeper uh, past the Kickstarter? Where can people find? Sure, the best place to start is probably neofitroller.com. So n e o f i t r o l l e r dot com, or across all social media, it's just at neofitco. So just co after the word neofit. Awesome, awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy schedule here. You're in the middle of a campaign. I know you got a lot going on, and uh, I think this is a great conversation around fitness and what you've done and how you've got this campaign to, to pop like you did because it, it seems like it's going to be, uh, when it's all said and done, this will probably be a big, big campaign. So I appreciate you taking time, uh, and I think my listeners are going to really enjoy our conversation. So thanks so much. No, thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank thanks, you. Jeff. all still there with still with me huh you guys still here awesome great conversation with steve i want to thank him again for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing his knowledge sharing what he's working on uh great conversation you know we got we talked about a lot of stuff so all right song we're listening to is a song called cowboy i love this song 
And when I look outside and it is going to rain all day and it's 40 degrees and it's fall, this song is going to connect. Uh, it connects with me every time. And I wrote this one back around 2012. I'm sorry, 2002, 2003, somewhere around there. Um, all right. I think I've ranted enough. I've talked a lot on this podcast and I apologize for it, guys. So, uh, well, you know what? No, I don't apologize. I had some things to say. It's been a week. So, all right, guys, enjoy the song. Uh, enjoy the weekend. And I'll talk to you all next week.